Hello and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask what's up with this Warhammer stuff. My name is Ben Crone Barber and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host Christopher Crallen Allen. I don't even want to be here. Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother Darren. Bully! Who knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. 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 Ah. <laughs> you love coming in. It's like a chorus on that last word, isn't it? Like, I, do, I do love coming in, yeah. <laughs> on a chorus. <laughs> <laughs> timing is everything <laughs> for the listeners i timed that perfectly just as dara took a drink of tea <laughs> of course stand still chorus. we need to uh think of a three-piece harmony for the next intro we, we need to just like sing ignorance we could do that song that beyonce did about all those middle-aged women with dermatitis all the shingle ladies <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Finally, one has landed. It also sounds like how Sean Connery would sing it. Oh, my shingle ladies. Oh, my shingle ladies. I just love the idea of in the song where they're going, oh, 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 but they're actually scratching. Oh, 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 oh. oh fucking hell. <laughs> That's a good start for you, Dar. <laughs> I'm sweating. Oh, oh fucking hell. Oh, man. Well, at least you're not itchy. Uh. Oh, machine gun ladies. <laughs> right, fellas, war machines and weapons, right? Right? For who? For this episode. Yes. 100%. Yes. Army, military, blood and death. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Dwarfs, 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 dwarfs. This is the last dwarf episode. It is the last dwarf episode, which also means this is the last run at the Book of Grudges competition, guys. So get grudging. And I'm going to put myself in for not having my book ready. Right, I'm putting Ben in and go. That's a good one to start with. Ben. I'm back. I've got it. Having BOG ready. Oh, no, my pet. Hold on, my pencil's fucked. Ben's go. pencil being fucked. Crow not having original enough grudges. Oh god, this is going to be another slow episode, isn't it? it really we started is, yeah. slow, kind of slowed down a bit in the middle, and the less said about the end, the better. <laughs> yeah. And now we're going backwards. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, actually, I have a question for you, Kral. Oh, uh, Dar, on <laughs> what are you still doing the, here? The other Kral. Uh, not knowing <laughs> the, other crowd. the difference between Kral and Kral 2. Dar. <laughs> Brackets, Kral 2. I have a question that was put forward by the listeners, in fact. End of episode 17, your sign out, you put them in the book. Yep. They demand to know why. For being entertained by this horseshit, which means I have to turn up every fucking month to listen to the inane ramblings of two people with early onset dementia. <laughs> Krell's not even paying attention. He's too busy grudging. Mm-hmm. 
between Kral and Dar. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Mate, I need to get ahead of this grudge competition, though, so <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm very competitive. Yes, I can vote mm-hmm. for that. You are. Kral, do you know what time it is? Tell me. Hello, Reitland. It's time for Sarah's Apple Recap. Right, Crow, WhatsApp recappers. Okay, I'm dragging you into this one, Ben. I'm going to quiz you on it. I think it's about time we tested your metal. So, last episode. My track record when you do this has not been great to date, so I have very low expectations. Think of all the grudges, Ben. You can do this. So what's weird about your recall, Ben, is you edit the fucking episode, so you listen to it multiple times and just <laughs> it's all in one just ear a and mess. out the other. Yeah, it's all just a total <laughs> blur. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ben, here we go. Uh, okay, so last episode, Dwarf High King Alrickson needed an heir because of what, Ben? Because... After what event? Because he smelled really bad and he just needed to ear off some of that stink partial credit he needed an heir after suffering mortal wounds after defeating chaos i knew I that can see I how that. you got them confused though so that's I fair enough that. I'll, I'll give you okay. i'll give you a let um uh, half a point so, for that one yeah you can have half a point you get three quarters okay, even i'm feeling generous i'm feeling generous nice. it'll nice, cost man. you a, it'll cost you a grudge to take out your book though right question two okay yeah i well i'll cross off this one crowl not having which i didn't finish and then i'm gonna put myself in for not finishing that grudge boom there we go okay go so in order to choose an heir, what did he task the various dwarven lords to do, Ben? They had to do really cool shit. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. poke a badger with a spoon and mm-hmm. build mm-hmm. a house of cards. and That's you know, it. Just superhuman feats, basically, to prove that they were the dwarfiest dwarf. Yeah, the dwarfiest dwarf, reenacting the glorious sagas of old, and the dwarf with the greatest list of deeds would be his successor. You can definitely have a point for that, Ben. That was definitely close. Sweet. Enough. Thanks, buddy. Um, a year later, the dwarf nobles assembled once more to announce these quests and adventures. And who arrived fashionably late with an entourage of northern kings, Ben? A young someone-something. <laughs> was it Thorgrim Grudgebearer? It certainly was. And what did he do to the assembly, but not literally? Electrified them? Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes. Is that an electrified dwarf? Yep. <laughs> that is majestic. That is amazing. <laughs> that is great. And we laughed for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that really tickled me, man. <laughs> so Thorgrim Grudgebearer electrified the assembly with his promise of doing what, Ben? Turning the power off. <laughs> is Beyonce routine? Yeah. Oh, shingle ladies. Oh, shingle ladies. <laughs> There's a uh, rat ogre. Uh oh, 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 Very oh, good. Oh, we're going to get copyright claimed. <laughs> As they danced away from it. <laughs> I, I think I think it's more likely dwarf. Uh, dwarf. Dwarf Beyonce? <laughs> Do you imagine Dwarf Beyonce? Beyonce would probably want to distance herself as much as possible from this. So, yeah, I don't think we're in yeah. any any trouble here. She'd be really easy to be able to do that because she's got longer legs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know what he promised to do? Um, what did he promise to do? 
He promised. Oh, he promised to to get rid of all the grudges, didn't he? he promised. That's to right. He promised to clear the great book of grudges, and as a result, he was unanimously elected as high king and immediately set out about regaining the glory of the old days. Well recapped, Kralin. Well recapped. I was I was good. I enjoyed that one. I was going to ask you to do it in Tony Blackburn, but I, yeah, I think that was better. Like I said, you don't just ask Tony Blackburn. He manifests himself at He's will. Manifest. You know. <laughs> At like the the most inopportune moments, and believe me, there's been some inopportune moments when Tony Blackburn has just turned up out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a terrible thing to happen mid-coitus. Yep. Pretty much. <laughs> exactly. I go down Crowland and I come up <laughs> with a theme tune. Uh, well do, do you think there's any chance that he might kind of like spontaneously manifest you know in in the coming episodes i don't know ben i don't know okay. this is the okay. this is the well we just live in hope yeah exactly exactly just live in hope. all right he might just turn Fine. out of the blue oh. jesus <laughs> christ tony not now please <laughs> Right, before we get cracking then, shall we have a couple of uh, grudge recaps? Dara, let's start with you. A couple couple from last week. Did you have your uh, book last week? I did, but I do not have it now. <laughs> oh, wow, that is, that is going... Uh, do you know what? I think I'm actually just going to put a number two next to the last time he did that, and I put him in the book. <laughs> grudge recaps. <laughs> Well, in that case, Kral, I'm going to ask you for three grudges from last week, please. Cool. All right. Number one, Ben for half ass grudging. You either go hard or you go home, pal. You know this. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. Me for incessant pen clicking. Good, good, good. Cool. Excellent. Like it. And finally, Ben for not being prepared with the WhatsApp recap soundbite. Yes, that was true. Nobody will know that until now because I'll have edited that out. But don't mm-hmm, worry about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Where's Dark on? He's come back with his book of grudges. All right. Okay. Do you know what? Fine. Uh, holy I'm going to cancel out that grudge for you, Dar. Could you cancel out another one? Because I think I'm going to have a heart attack from gently running up and down the stairs. Fuck my Darren life. Darren almost dying before giving his episode worth of content. <laughs> right, come on then. Give us, give us a couple of grudges. I put myself in one for lack of clarity. Woo! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, macho man Randy Savage in the house. <laughs> uh, ben in the book for not laughing at my jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've got, I've got queek head taker for being a bit of a cunt. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a, yeah, that's, yeah, a that's, that's a straight yeah, yeah, up yeah, grudge, yeah. really, isn't it? And Crow for stealing my Hoover grudge which I think referenced the fact that my Henry Hoover was being used the month before and it was really loud. Um, so. Stealing another man's grudge, it's pretty, it's pretty low, isn't it? I've got to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even for dwarves. I knew, a guy that <laughs> had, I knew a guy that had to go to accident emergency because he tried to have sex with his Hoover and it was the wrong kind. I'm going to change his name, but good old Pancake Cock Duncan. <laughs> I'm going to call him B.C. Barber No, that's too obvious Let's call him Ben Crowley <laughs> Pancake Knob signing off <laughs> Flop Right, enough with all of this shit Weapons of war Dar Make it count Give us some make weapons this, of war Make this final dwarf episode mean something <laughs> No pressure So, 
in our final episode on dwarves, we'll look at the capacity they have for making war. Uh, dwarves are really, and get ready, Ben, get ready, they're quite a dichotomous race when it comes to um, <clears throat> making war. Not only, dico- not only dichotomous, but actually because they live underground, they're technically troglodytic. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, yes, they, they have oddly some of the most advanced and at the same time some of the most traditional weapons of war amongst any race in Warhammer. And that really comes down to the split between the kind of engineers and the runesmiths. So the runesmiths lend themselves more to traditional forms of dwarven warfare and kind of dwarven culture, and the engineers are seen as the progressive, innovative, Mm, and technically shooty armies, as you quite correctly say. Contrary to popular belief, dwarves don't actually have a full-time professional army. They do, oh. uh, you know, so unlike, say, the Empire, they don't have soldiery ready to go at a moment's notice. Every dwarven warrior that's seen on the field of battle actually has another job. They have a daytime job, so they're very much kind of a militia, although you would never say that to their faces. I mean, you'd have to kneel down, but you still, you never would. Um, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, going in the book for that one. (laughs) So once called up by their leadership, either the king, the high king, or the local thane, they'll form together into these large units of warriors, the most common of which is the interestingly named dwarf warrior. And so these... (laughs) (laughs) So so these... uh, He serve as the kind of backbone. So over half of the totality of dwarven forces are these standard, highly capable dwarf warriors, mostly around about the 100 to 150 years of age kind of range. Traditionally, these are the miners, the craftspeople, the apprentices, really, and traders. A lot of them work in the mines, although There are specific units for the more accomplished miners. And these really are the kind of stalwart, doughty, traditional view of dwarves. They're armed usually in in kind of big chainmail coats. Some have plates attached to them. All their armor is incredibly intricate and well-made and kind of master-crafted. And their weapons really are steel most of the time. So they're really the, no pun intended, cutting edge of warfare. But this is a kind of arms and armament that's replicated, or like the Black Orcs would have the same level of technology. The kind of more elite units in the Empire and Britonia have the same kind of capacity for equipment. So what really makes the Dwarf Warriors stand out is when they're on the field of battle, each significantly sized unit serves in a way as a stronghold, a strong point around which other units can move. So I think in the British military, there's a term called pepper potting, which is you have two units. One holds some ground and and defends it while the other one moves up, moves forward. And then that one takes over that, you know, it's a a manly game of leapfrog. Right, okay. So really what you're seeing is effectively units treated as fortresses, treated as castles as they kind of move towards the enemy. When attacking, when defending, you might as well be throwing yourself against a physical mountain because the armor is so thick on each warrior that you really have to put in a lot of effort to kill a dwarf. 
So that's really the core of the Dwarven army, are these ordinary dwarfs, in quotes, of the Great Dwarven Empire. Now, these warriors are supported by uh, two forms, really, of ranged... I don't, uh, I don't think he's looking at the screen. What? I have a question. I was being polite. I was putting my hand Chris up. Chris has had his hand up for like three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Wow, Jesus. Hi, my name's Chris, a long-time listener, first-time caller. I have a question. So that you say that they don't have a professional army, they're more like a militia. Does that make each unit less capable than other traditional professional armies of other races? Because if they were full-time military, they'd be training all the time as opposed to, mm. you know, yeah, downing, exactly. downing weapons and going off and doing their other job. If you were to pitch a dwarven warrior versus a Bretonian soldier, would one of them be better than the other? I think you'd have to or bet dwarven on just the... natural warriors. Well, you'd have to bet on the dwarf because it's to do with the length of experience they have. Dwarf warriors, as I say, are they've been fighting easily for a hundred years. So they've right. been... Mm. It's in their blood. Yeah, soldiering in addition to their day-to-day -day work. Um, oh, I see. So they have a huge amount of experience in battle that, you know, a Bretonian knight of, say, 30 up mm. against a dwarf warrior of 130, there's going to mm. be a differential in experience. The dwarf is going to know the weaknesses of the Bretonian knight. He's going to be able to pick his ground, choose the kind of environment for the battle to his benefit. But assuming that that dwarf in his lifetime has been in battle, because he's only a part-time soldier, right? So he's he, like Ben said, he doesn't. He's not been training day to day. He just gets called upon as and when. So yeah, but even if but, if, but at that level that Darren just said of you know thirty years old versus one hundred and thirty, mm. even if he was doing part time, he's still probably got twenty years of experience on the Bretonian knight. Assuming that he's been in battle, are you suggesting that basically every dwarf in their lifetime will have some battle experience just because of the environment they're in? They're gonna get in a fight. Yeah, but remember they they don't need to go looking for a fight because their empire is still under siege by Skaven and Greenskins, so the there's okay. constant incursions and constant war. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I have a follow-up question. Is an individual dwarf's contribution to the army and to fighting and whatnot seasonal based on what they do? Like if you've got somebody who is, let's say, a farmer, then their prime time for farming is going to be during the summer, I guess. And so... Because that was the case with a lot of uh, historical uh, or ancient armies in our real world, wasn't it? That during the summer period, they were released from military duty so they could go back and grow crops for the empire, say. And then they came back into the service later on during the colder months. Does that make sense? It, it would be, if you can imagine a notion of conscription in the UK during World War II. Now, that's not to say that, well, the Dwarven Hiking can conscript any dwarf to battle, but how are you going to feed them? So there's still mm. there is still honor Rock in bread. yeah there's still honor <laughs> in producing food in producing weapons and not being at the front line of the battle. But mm. most of the glory is going to be found at the front line of such a battle. So I suspect there has to be a balancing act in the kind of dwarven psyche mm. between contribution to the empire and a chance to have your own shot at glory. Um, mm. But but yeah, it's potentially, yes, it could be seasonal. But nice. I think it's going to be taken on a battle-by-battle -battle basis. Nice.
Okay, cool. So I mentioned in the brief bit there about dwarf warriors that some of them would be miners, or most of them, in fact, would be miners. There are units of dwarven miners that take to the field, but they take to the field in a very unusual way. Well, not that unusual. They're fucking miners. They tunnel up. Uh, (laughs) So what they would do is... They, oh, cool. They would they would tunnel up into the field of battle, either directly in front of, or behind, or in the midst of the enemy. Is that uh, is that an ability on the tabletop? Then? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's effectively That's teleporting really cool. dwarves. Um, nice. Although they don't teleport, but they can outflank enemy armies. They can target the war machines or characters at the rear of an army, and they're able to use explosive charges as well to disrupt enemy troops. Surely Skaven have that ability as well. Uh, Skaven do have that ability, yes, but on the tabletop, a unit has to be associated with something called a warp grinder, which is, uh, it looks, looks, that's the one that looks like a warp stone jackhammer. Oh, I know what a T13 warp grinder drill looks like. Jesus, don't don't lecture me. (laughs) Kral for being a touchy cunt. Darren, not remembering who the fuck I am. And you're both going in again for petty squabbles. Ben being a third wheel to our squabble. (laughs) I've just realized the way I've written that, it looks like Kral for being a touche cunt. Like it. It works. Touche. Yeah, so these dwarf miners are able to not only get themselves into an advantageous position, but because they're actually creating a physical tunnel, an entire dwarf contingent can follow them, and they can really uh, flank up the enemy army. Interesting. These are the core units of a dwarf army, the core kind of melee units. And the dwarf miners, they are the models are just fantastic because they've got huge double-handed pickaxes and helmets with candles on them. So it's this kind of stereotypical miner running around the place, picking people to death. Um, <laughs> these are then supported by what's referred to as quarrelers. These are not people that shout arguments at people. <laughs> These are ah shit. I was hoping for a bigger laugh. Uh, the would <laughs> <laughs> that do? Nice one, Kral. I'll paste that in. Yeah, I'm cool. just going to uh, put the number two behind that last Kral grudge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going for the um, high score, baby. So quarrelers are effectively dwarves with crossbows. These are the the dwarves that march up to the front lines in support of. There are units of Dwarven Warriors and Dwarven Miners and just pepper. They pepper the enemy units with crossbow bolts. Uh, They're not really aiming to, no pun intended, destroy enemy units, but they're disruptive. They're disruptive force to kind of slow units down or give the Dwarven Warriors a chance to uh, maneuver so that they're able to get in and stick the boot in. Uh, but that's not the only missile unit or ranged unit that the dwarves have. There, there are a few others, but that's they're the most traditional. Uh, you then have, in terms of the more progressive, you have something called the Thunderers. And these are dwarven warriors with what's referred to as handguns, you know, big rifles, muskets, effectively. Um, right. And what's kind of interesting about these guys is they have a fierce competitive streak with each other for who has created or refined their rifle to be the most accurate and you know and their own skill 
And this means that their handguns are some of the best in the entire old world. And these guys really do snipe away at the battlefield. Again, used as a kind of disruptive unit, but there are, you know, you stick an engineer in with a brace of pistols and they suddenly become quite effective with being able to re-roll They'll misses. They'll get old and... John Wick on your ass. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I would watch a, a John Wick remake of Entirely Little People. That'd be fucking amazing. <laughs> Just oh. outright, unfucking fetid violence and ridiculousness. And all the bad guys are halflings. Yeah. <laughs> No, I meant in the real world, Ben. (laughs) Halflings are real, right? (laughs) No, they're just far away. Right, guys? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Now, these cows are small. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, it's me, Thorgrim Smith, for King. I'm a dwarf, just like you with a face and a beard, and nine times out of ten, a flagon of Bugman 6X. My advisors say these sepia-toned photos of my parents are proof of my dwarven origins. Of course, you can't see them, because this is an audio broadcast. But you can trust me, because I'm trustworthy. Look at this photo, would an untrustworthy person do this? Oh yes, sorry, you can't see that one either. But one thing you can be sure of, is that wherever I go, so do great deeds. I love great deeds. I love reuniting holds and slaying trolls. I love finding lost relics and rediscovering ruins. I love grudges and I hate Skaven. But my opponent disagrees. My opponent thinks Skaven are great. Is that the kind of king you want? No. You want a king who will ask the difficult questions. Who are these Skaven? Why are they here? Are they here to take all your cheese? Are they here to kill you? Probably, because I'm not king yet. I understand there's a lot to worry about right now, like beard care, and taxes, and beard taxes, and foreign policy, and goblins. My records show I can construct a narrative by keeping the details pretty vague. Families, the economy, and education are all things I've addressed in non-specific ways but you can rest assured, I'll use particular words because they always get applause. Great nation, more warriors, less budget security, badgers. Did I mention I'm super capable? I can stand behind podiums. I can give speeches that not only arouse the most sexually desensitized of us, but that also deliver a shocking stimulus. I can make outrageous claims about avenging all grudges and changing my second name to Grudgebearer. I will definitely achieve one of those things before the world explodes. Definitely. Right now is a critical time. Because of the past, and the future, and this Dwarven flag. Which, of course, you can't see because this is an audio broadcast. I'm a candidate for King, and I endorse this message. Unless, of course, you disagree with anything I've said, in which case, I had nothing to do with it. You have a decision to make. Die at the hands of our enemies, or 240 volts. The choice is yours. Vote Thorgrim. Yeah. 
In terms of the progression, we covered in the first episode how uh, age brings kind of status and experience and wisdom with the dwarves and grumpiness. As dwarf warriors gain more experience in battle, they become what's referred to as the longbeard. Now, these are the the kind of the wizened warriors. These guys really are carved out of stone. And I'm saying guys, I mean dwarves. And (laughs) they have a unique ability where they just grumble about how shit the youth of today is. So it's the get off my lawn dwarves who are um, (laughs) just in the midst of battle looking how all the other units behave and kind of criticizing them if they don't do well, if they don't hold up to traditional <laughs> values. Um, and what's so, their contribution to the battle? Just to piss people off into effectiveness? <laughs> yeah, propel them along. <laughs> well, it's what me and you do to Ben, so, you know. That's <laughs> why I'm so effective. <laughs> Touché. Right, you're both going in the fucking book for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so to answer your question, Chris, a fantastic kind of psychological advantage. They'll be able to hold the line and reassure the other dwarven units that this, whatever they're facing, is no big thing. And if we're not going to run, you shouldn't run, that kind of idea. Okay, they're also yeah. phenomenal warriors because these are the guys that really have spent a significant amount of their time uh, fighting. These are the kind of the chosen warriors of the dwarven high kings and they race around the place with huge well i say race what did we describe for dwarf trundle waddle they waddle into battle in just huge suits of plate and chainmail armor and with double-handed axes and they fuck shit up um Mm. so they're not only a, a, a an amazing kind of reassuring sight but they're also a terrifying sight they will nice. fuck shit up. Nice. They will fuck nice. shit up. But moan about it. But oh, absolutely moan about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. There's been in the past rules where if a nearby unit is starting to break, if it's going to flee, you can roll a dice. And depending on the result, you have to read this scurrilous insult that stops the unit fleeing and makes it shamefacedly turn around and face the enemy again. Um, (laughs) But these aren't the only kind of elite combat warriors of the dwarves, of course. The kind of pinnacles are what's referred to as the hammerers. Uh, Guess what they have? The hammerers. A hammerer. These are the elite bodyguard of the dwarven kings. These are the kind of chosen companions. When you hear of kind of heroic tales... And there's a group of companions for a king or whatever. They're almost always hammerers. And these guys, all they are interested in is um, hammering. Hammers. Hammering. <laughs> and they will they will drive orcs into the ground like a fucking tent peg using nice. their rune-encrusted, effectively, sledgehammer. They use a two-handed warhammer, kind nice. of magical in nature, that it just pancakes people. That's kind of the iconic dwarf weapon is it the kind of two-handed that or the axe i was gonna say ben if you could choose hammer or an axe that's a tough one crow can it be a double a double-sided axe no one or the other double-handed axe or double-handed hammer what double-handed hammer oh right okay (laughs) but no can it be like a a double-headed axe double-sided axe or double-sided ham. You're really overthinking this. Let's move on. Darren, go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an axe for anyone that cares. I think it's an axe. We'll come back to Ben right after this. It was always an axe. It was always an axe. I was just wanting to talk. I just wanted to contribute. <laughs> I'm putting myself in the book for feeling such disappointment. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you want me to go with a hammer or just general? A kind of general disappointment. Just general yeah, disappointment. I mean, it, just I just like, I love the idea that listeners will be hearing this and thinking, "Ah, oh, come on, he's just having a, an off day." This is what that fucker is always like. <laughs> but but as I say that, I'm thinking about my life and thinking, "Let him who is without sin cast the first dwarf." <laughs> so those are the kind of core units that you would find in almost all dwarven armies. We then get into the more specialized units that appear in specific circumstances. Again, either underground, overground, or wumbling free. Uh, the the first, if we deal with the kind of underground combat, you're looking at the elite tunnel fighters of the dwarves are the ironbreaker units, and these are the dwarves that have the heaviest armor and are equipped with enchanted shields and magical hand hammers and hand axes. And they're responsible for patrolling the underways of the Dwarven Empire. They're the ones that are almost on a daily basis coming into contact with Skaven and Night Goblins and the other associated creatures and animals of their enemy forces. It's so dangerous that even the newest recruit for these Ironbreaker units is gifted with a, a suit of full Grommel armor. So this is the magical equivalent of Mithril within Warhammer, and they're head to toe just covered in it. And effectively, they can become part of the terrain if they need to be. They're that good wow. at defensive fighting. Um they are supported with a, a missile troop who are the Iron Drakes. So these are Iron Breakers who are given something called Drake Guns. These are short-range flame cannon. So they're given flamethrowers. Nice. Uh, and nice. so you'll have units of, or regiments, in fact, of Iron Breakers supported by companies of Iron Drakes and just washing out the tunnels with fire killing the enemies that they come across there. There's also you know, specialists within the Iron Drakes that have harpoon guns, uh, so they can chain down the larger kind of trolls and what have you, so pin them in place so that the Iron Breakers themselves can race in and finish them and off. Just so, tickle them. Yeah, just tickle them. <laughs> Bring in the ticklers. Bring the ticklers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tickle them with my hammer. <laughs> oh, Please tell me there's a unit called the Ticklers. Oh, yeah, but it's it's in the Slaneshi army. Um, <laughs> so, you know, these Iron Breakers are often accompanied by units of Dwarven Miners and Longbeards and Hammers and Dwarf Warriors. So their day-to-day -day patrols on a smaller scale tend to just be Iron Breakers and Iron Drakes. But when there's larger underground battles, the other forces of the Dwarves will be summoned. Mr. Chris? It sounds like the Iron Breakers are a full-time military unit. Like you say, they're they're in daily contact with Skaven and Night Goblins underground. It doesn't sound like a part-time militia style role to me. Uh, no, it is a more structured uh, and long-term commitment from a dwarf, but they do cycle out. They do still okay. have obligations to their own thing. It's one of these things. It's never really been stated explicitly, but I think there even the dwarfs come under psychological pressure. It might take sure. years, might take mm. years, but you know they will cycle out. And if they reach an age, they'll 
qualify to enter into the units of longbeards or hammerers or move on in their life to become runesmiths or engineers, that kind of idea. Supermarket clerks. Supermarket clerks. I bet it's the inverse in terms of mental health, whereas a dwarf will naturally get grudgier and bitterer through life. When they, you know, their psychological issues, they'll probably become happier. You know you're in trouble when you, you meet a happy, giving, forgiving dwarf, right? That's when you know you've got to send them to the shrink and uh, get their head checked. <laughs> well, I think that that's when you need to dye their hair orange and give them blue tattoos and send them on their way as a slayer. Mm, uh, that's it. <laughs> The happiest slayer in the world. Something has clearly gone wrong. <laughs> Which is the, the final diagnosis of every dwarf therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about becoming a slayer? <laughs> um, so they're the dwarves that tend to spend the most amount of time underground, the Ironbreaker regiments. The dwarves that tend to spend the most time overground are what's referred to as the dwarf rangers. And these really are the eyes and ears of the Dwarven kings on the mountainside and in the country. Very much the kind of Aragorn if he'd been in a lift accident, uh, <laughs> race, racing around. Smokes the, uh, too young. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just accordioned. Yeah. <laughs> Should have cut out those woodbines when he was 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but these guys spend so much time above ground that they're viewed as with suspicion by all right-thinking dwarves who prefer under the mountain. So their word is trusted by their kings, but they're not particularly trusted by their fellow dwarf. Um, right. But they are frequently the first line of defense for all dwarves. These are the, the dwarves who will engage the enemy first. They'll you know use hit-and-run tactics, They'll set fire to food supplies. They'll give... Do knock, of, knock, run. Run it, yeah, peg it. Knock, knock, run. Leave poo in a bag. Uh, wedgies at midnight. That kind of <laughs> <laughs> and they also start creating Home Alone-style booby traps across the sides of mountains to slow uh, to slow Joe Pesci. forces down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like a single nail. <laughs> a, a single well-placed nail, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the single nail that stopped the chaos army. <laughs> uh, one weakness. <laughs> Just wiring car batteries to anything they could find. <laughs> I don't think they would. I don't believe that dwarves and electricity mingle well. Um, <laughs> not after Thorgrim's speech. Jesus. A lot of dwarves went into therapy and, uh, after the electrifying event and were promptly <laughs> diagnosed as in need of some slayerhood. <laughs> Speaking of slayers, this leads us to the kind of final iconic infantry unit of the dwarves, which are, of course, the slayers. These are the ginger-headed lunatics. Hang on, I'll make sure my door is closed so my wife can't hear me. The ginger-headed <laughs> lunatics of the um, of the dwarven race. Those who are deeply shamed and deeply violent, like people from the Highlands. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> When there is a call to battle, they amass in one single great unit. Most of them will be run-of-the-mill troll slayers, but they will be interspersed with giant slayers. And the other two forms of slayers can either Demon of you slayer? remember. 
Demon and Dragon Slayer. Slayer. Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer. Chris for the win. Ben. I said I got in there. Oh. Ben, you're going in the book for losing. Ben. <laughs> not <That's fair>. eating <laughs> a crowl. Uh, <laughs> interesting way of putting it. <laughs> for not beating Kral off about the Dwarven Slayers. Pop. Quiz. <laughs> like, all you had to do was ask. <laughs> My hand is your hand. What's the name for a multiple of uh, of slayers? We had, uh, what was it, a barbecue of dragons. A, bar- a barbecue <laughs> of dragons. Uh, what would it be? A ginge a- of slayers. A stramash of slayers. <laughs> yeah, a ruckus of slayers. A, ru- a ruckus of slayers. <laughs> so these uh, units of slayers, what you're really looking at here is a collection of individuals rather than a cohesive unit they do pay heed to the slayers who have failed the most to die so the troll slayers Hmm. will in general give way to giant slayers and the giant slayers give way to the dragon slayers and the dragon slayers give way to the demon slayers so the units are led by whichever is the worst at dying and that is obviously the demon slayer. <laughs> that's a really funny way of looking at it <laughs> <laughs> it's not too dissimilar to me not beating Crowl. <laughs> you're right it is like a massive unit of losers led by the biggest loser <laughs> And in the in the heat of battle, these ginger-headed maniacs do just make a beeline for the biggest enemy they can find uh, and will just mince everything they can. So they'll always head for an elite. If there's no monsters, they'll head for an elite unit. It isn't really done that they disperse into just a single slayer racing at an enemy, which they would. They do tend to pack together which is kind of odd given that they want a glorious redemption Mm. in death, Mm. usually solitary. Mr. Chris. Um, So when they do bunch together and attack as a single unit, are they doing that under the command of the unit leader or is it more of a kind of green-skinned war vibe? There's just a bit of an aura and energy and they kind of all hone in and go, that's the motherfucker we need to kill. I think it's somewhere in between, but leaning perhaps to the green skin half, because they do pay Mm. heed and give weight to the experience of the unsuccessful that are leading them, but uh, they still want, they still need to die in battle. And that then really encompasses the units, the dwarven infantry units. Let's have a look at their weapons of war, the artillery and other war machines. Baboom. Looking at the kind of more traditional engines of war that the dwarves have, it's really two. One is a bolt thrower, which is effectively an enormous crossbow that takes three dwarves to prep and fire. Um, a ballista this is or a, a ballista. A, yeah, a ballista. Exactly right. This is a thing that can take a dragon or a wyvern clean out of the sky with one shot and can nice. pin a troll to a, to a mountain so that a slayer, an opportunistic slayer, can run in and just dispatch it and thus prove himself a loser. The uh... <laughs> <laughs> Would that happen? Would a slayer allow that with you know he's basically got a handicap in the form of a massive crossbow helping him pin him down is that is that not seen as a bit of a cheat 
He'd probably try and pull the bolt thing out of the mountain so that the troll could fight him fairly. Yeah, mm. yeah. The other more traditional uh, engine of war is is a stone thrower, a, a traditional stone thrower. In this case, referred to as a grudge thrower, because these are the nice. engines where the uh, the crew or a, a, an attached engineer would write "Go fuck yourself" on a stone <laughs> and hoof it at the enemy. But they also uh, have runesmiths. There are also magical runes that can be applied to the ammunition for both of these engines, which give them significant power. I mean, you could end up with a rock, you know, it's about to be fired across and then a rune is applied to it, which sets the rock on fire. So effectively, you're throwing lava at the enemy units. And there's also accuracy and explosive. Mr. Chris. Two questions. I recall, I think this was the Chunks of Dar bonus episodes, tier two Patreon listeners only. Um, <laughs> explained <Nice. laughs> runes. To produce a rune is very time and labor intensive. You don't just yes. carve it, enchant it, and there you go. You have to go through a long process and even lose a limb or maybe risk your life to, to make this rune enchanted. To then stick it on a rock and fling it at an enemy seems a bit wasteful. Would they want to retrieve it again? Do you get one use runes? Yes, the impression is given that they are one use, but Mm. in the rules, it's a continuous effect. So I'm not sure Sure. if you're applying it to the ammunition or is it going on the actual engine itself? Sure. Um, Oh, I see. Right. That that would make more sense, I think. Yeah. When we were discussing the use of runes and creating a rune, we were looking at magical items. Um, There are quick and easy petty runes that can be carved into things to make them have an effect but again only by a runesmith mm-hmm. mr chris uh, and then second question can you have fun time runes so could you <laughs> you know like you got a kid's party rune of engorgement yeah rune of engorgement <laughs> yeah. rune of turn this rock into a bunny rabbit to entertain some kids or something like that um I can't see any reason why the there could be. Is I don't know why there's such an awkward pause. I mean, a legit question, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but when I hear anything described as fun time, my thing doesn't immediately go to kids' parties. Um, okay, so <laughs> it does go to bunny rabbits, though. <laughs> you fucking long-eared tease. Fine, an aphrodisiac rune or something. Let's let's bring it down. I don't know. My honest answer is I don't know. You've stumped me. You've stumped me hard over this desk. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. know. Well done, Chris. I win. <laughs> You've now ruined the rest of the episode as Darren's about to leave. <laughs> I win the podcast. Yay! I'm going to burst into <laughs> tears, but it's okay. I use them as fun time lube. Um, <laughs> Which has uh, a rune on the ball. <laughs> it's, certainly, it's certainly been the rune of my life. <laughs> it's like, I can't find anything to grudge about. I don't have the energy to be petty or bicker anymore. I just feel happy all the time. Right now, one in four dwarves are struggling with mental health. And most aren't even aware that they're in need of help. Are you one of those dwarves? Today, during Dwarf Mental Health Awareness Week, it's time to be honest with yourself. Have you been feeling overly positive? 
are petty matters nay bothering you. Finding yourself agreeing with others far too often. Have you not made an entry in your wee book of grudges within the past 24 hours? If the answer is yes to any of these, you may be suffering from any number of common mental ailments. Excessive jubilation disorder, general agreeability syndrome, or jollification of the mind. If you think you might be happier than normal, speak to someone about it, today. Dwarf mental health. You didn't need to be positive about life anymore. then move on to the what we would consider the kind of black powder gunpowder or alchemical weapons of war of the dwarven empire so you're looking at a cannon standard issue cannon that we would understand how it operates about the time of the napoleonic era they are smaller than their kind of the human counterparts but because of their the craftsmanship that goes in they're no less deadly and by far are more accurate than human cannons but they're just a run-of-the-mill cannon uh, you then get into the organ gun which i remember ben you were particularly yes. happy with this looks like a how you describe it an enormous music box with a crank handle at the side and five or more small cannons mounted on top that fire <laughs> either one at a time or all at once. And these are used to effectively go after enemy personnel, enemy units. They're not really designed to take out, you know, they're not siege engines in terms of destroying walls, that kind of idea that a dwarf cannon could. These are specifically used to thin the ranks. Um, these are like light so machine guns, LMGs. Yeah, it's that kind of idea, but they have to obviously load it by hand each turn. So it, it is an array of five or more small cannons. Effectively, wow. what you're doing is you're gluing five thunderers together and pointing them at So them. is it muskets rather than cannons or cannons, actual cannons? No, these would be considered actual cannons. Yeah, it, like the, yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone is familiar with naval battles or the, the, the naval technology around about the 1800s. You have these things called swivel guns, which are little oh, kind of... Oh, yes, little mini uh, cannons. Yeah, little man-portable mini cannons that are pivoted on, well, I want to say pivots, uh, <laughs> on the, the rails of ships. So five of them on a frame pointed at the enemy, job done. Kaboom. Kaboom. Kablamo. Yeah. yeah. We then get into the kind of real alchemical weapon of the Dwarven Empire. This is the flame cannon. Now, this really sits astride the kind of traditional and progressive ways of making war, because it is a traditionally dwarf weapon. It existed before cannons did and created in the hold of Zuffbar. It is a, how would you describe it? It is a flamethrower the size of a single decker bus that fires out greek fire as as you know as we understand it from our own history it's a napalm cannon wow and this is used purely to destroy enemy infantry and some lighter war machines it can be used above ground to 
decimate whole regiments and underground can be used to simply evaporate anything that's in a tunnel in front of it. It is really good for unblocking drains. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Interestingly, the miniatures for this have increased in size over time. So around about the third and fourth edition of Warhammer, the flame cannon looked like a warp fire thrower carried by dwarves. So the inference is the dwarves see this warp fire cannon and they make a a two-man portable version firing out this alchemical fire. Over time, this has now come to be a absolutely meaty war engine that isn't really that mobile, but can fire jets of, uh, well, fire long distances <laughs> and, you know, scour enemy units from the face of the earth. We now, <laughs> we now look at the kind of two more unusual war engines, and these are the kind of last two we'll talk about are the Gyrocopter and Gyrobomber. This is the Dwarven Air Force, or the Dwarven Air Corps, uh, that is run by the Engineers Guild. It's a gyrocopter, effectively. Um, It's what we would understand that to be, which is a proto-helicopter that is armed with a kind of little steam cannon or a brimstone gun, which is a very small flame cannon, so a flamethrower. So these things can boil the flesh off of enemies' bones or burn the flesh off of enemies' bones. You choose. You choose. (laughs) Boil or burn. Yeah, the steam one ignores armor. So if you're going up against heavily armored units, you would use Mm. that one because it doesn't doesn't have to, what I like to call, penetrate the armor of your enemies. the pilot of this is able to, much like the pilots of World War One, hoof down bombs from the cockpit. Effectively, they just hold their hand out with a bomb and just drop it on top of a unit nice. that's flying over. Uh, very Do they indescript- have to fly quite low then? If it's that the flame and steam guns must be quite short range. Yeah, they t- in the game they have to get right in there. It's something like an eight or twelve inch range. So they have to swoop in. Yeah, swoop in, cook things, and then leave. Much like the hairy bikers. The uh, gyro bomber (laughs) then, the gyro bomber is a a significantly larger contraption that when it has not only dirigible balloon suspension pods on the sides to kind of keep it buoyant, it also has two big, huge kind of helicopter arrays or blade arrays that, or propellers as they're fucking called, you lunatic, <laughs> uh, that keep it upright. Um, <laughs> and these things are purely designed as bombers. So these will fly at altitude and drop all kinds of munitions onto the enemy. It does have a rotary musket at the front to. Oh, uh, cool. Pepper. That's my word for this episode. Pepper. Like a chain gun. Sort yeah, of like style. a really low yeah. frequency chain gun. Yeah, yeah. And then they drop out various type of bombs, including the Grudge Buster bomb, which is my favorite because it's designed to take out enemies that already have grudges upon them in some sort of <laughs> mystical engineering way it works out that that is the unit they need to fuck up so the uh, it's a grudge really homing missile yeah what kind of weaponry would the enemies use against this what's the most effective weaponry and armament that enemies have to counter the dwarven air force the bombers and the gyrocopters uh with the bombers it's going to be anything that can fly 
Dragons. And also, and also, yeah, and also war machines, so cannons, uh, bolt throwers, that kind of idea. Anything you can aim at the sky. In terms of the gyrocopter that would need to swoop down, this you're looking at anything with ranged weapons, any kind of archer or crossbow uh, Mm. or Mm. handgunner or mushroom thrower, shit flinger, anything (laughs) that can target that. Because they do have some level of armor, but it would be akin to the armor worn by dwarf. It's not like huge, thick steel plates. Um, Gotcha. Yeah, I can imagine that are very tough units aerial units to get rid of. You know, they're quite nimble. They've got three dimensions to move in as well um, to try and take them out. Could be quite challenging for a relatively primitive army with bolt throwers and sticks and stones and such. But they can be taken down. There are methods. There are ways. Yes, they absolutely can be taken down. No dwarven lord would rely purely on these contraptions. Again, they are used to kind of harry and disrupt the enemy rather than to destroy them outright. As Ben said, it's the, the focus is still on hand-to-hand combat. So if you can disrupt mm. the enemy so you get the better opportunity in battle, then that, that's effectively mm. what they're for. And what's the reliability of dwarven technology? Do these things fail uh, quite a bit? No, they really do have the most reliable mechanisms in the old world because they're created by a race of people who you know need to be to at get it shit for... Done. Uh, yeah. Well, you need to be at it at least 100 years before you can be considered even an accomplished mm. engineer, and then another 100 or 200 years to be a master engineer, which segues nicely into the leadership of dwarf armies. Uh, mm. It falls really into kind of three main categories. You have the kind of heroic leaders, so you have the kings, the lords, and what's referred to as the thanes. So these are the descending ranks of dwarf heroes. These really are what you would consider to be diminutive Viking heroes. So these are the Beowulfs of uh, Warhammer. They're armed and armored in the best magical plate mail. They have outstanding weapons of amazing craftsmanship, depending on where they are in the empire. They have the most powerful handguns or pistols or they have an axe that just is covered in runes designed purely to fuck up reality when they decide it needs to be so up fucked. (laughs) They tend, obviously, the dwarves are an infantry-based army. There's no cavalry. They don't ride into battle on anything. But there's one, perhaps one exception to that. So there is the dwarf lords can bring what's called a grudge stone or an oath stone. And it's a thing that just... They stand on it. It's something that has an oath for the battle, and they stand on top of it, and they do not move from it. So they can't retreat from it. They can't advance from it. They command their army from that stone. Is the stone carried on to the battlefield then? Yeah, it's just carried on and dropped at an advantageous position. Right, okay. So, you know, so like the full of where I stand. Yeah, the full effect of the kind of enchantments associated with the old stone. They're not necessarily runes, but there's a cultural weight given to the fact that there's a dwarf king standing on a soapbox, effectively. Um, <laughs> given out. Proca- yeah, proclaiming that everyone is shit and kill them. <laughs> Much like Speaker's Corner in London. Um, you then yeah. have some dwarf kings are carried into battle on shields. 
So very much like Burson Getrix from Asterix and Obelix. Oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's yeah. constantly carried around on a shield. There are, in fact, not only in the lore dwarf lords that do this, but there are models that you can get or used to be able to get where a dwarf lord was carried in on a shield. You then have the throne of power of Thorgrim Grudgebearer, the battle sled. It looks like Santa's sleigh carried in by really small, stocky, angry elves and just charging straight into battle. That was a joke about Santa and elves and dwarves being short, stocky, angry elves. Okay, go on. Uh, (sighs) Then in the book for Uh, ruining uh, Darren's uh, flow. I'm very, I'm very <laughs> So those are the kind of standard dwarf heroes, the leadership of the dwarven race. Uh, all holes have a handful of these dwarves, and these are the ones that are entrusted with the leadership of the clans within that hold and the command of battle. Uh, the other two aspects of dwarven culture are reflected in the rune lords and the engineers. So you've got the rune lords who are the kind of leaders of a whole's runesmiths. These are the ones that will create the magical items and assist in dispelling enemy magic on the field. You remember, what's his name? Thoric Ironbrow with the rune of doom. Um, or the ru- the doomy rune. The doomy rune. <laughs> He's the one that will uh, summon the a dwarves pistolfessness as a kind of avatar of themselves so you have an army surrounded or intermixed with an army of dwarven anger personified as a ghost so much like the army oh, yeah. of the dead in lord of the rings so but it's mm-hmm. it's their own anger uh, so it's that kind of magical support in terms of craftsmanship and the capacity to disrupt enemy magic that's what the runesmiths and rune lords do are there runes that are like anti-magic runes that would like negate enemy magic. Well, dwarves have an innate resistance to magic as it stands as soon as they're born. Spells can be dismissed on a, a, a specific dice roll, a thing would have no effect. There are oh, runes that can be applied to standards like banners. So you can make a flag or a banner pole that has a rune on it that it makes the unit highly immune to magic or. That unit and any unit within however many inches is immune to magic in the game. So yeah, the short answer is yes. (laughs) Cool. The final uh, section of Dwarven leadership then is the engineers. You have the rank and file engineers led by the master engineers. And these are the ones that forge the great war engines and, of course, the arms and armor or the non-magical arms and armor of the dwarves. When working in conjunction, a runesmith and a dwarf engineer can create really magical, well-made items. But the dwarf engineers are the leaders of the combined gun batteries of the Dwarven Empire. So, you know, you've got these arrays of cannons. I believe it's called cannonade. And then, you know, they're the ones that can adjust all the sights and make sure the flame cannon doesn't fucking blow up as someone poked the wrong button or twisted the wrong wheel they have huge experience in how how artillery works and how the dwarven artillery works um, they can put so frequently... together an ikea cabinet without even reading the instructions they are oh yeah on point yeah they don't yeah. need to rtfm no 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 the reality of that situation chris is that the dwarven engineer will instruct other dwarves how to build it without using instructions he is the instructions that's fucking far out yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. 
that's how IKEA instructions are made. There's just a, a dwarven engineer at the top of <laughs> IKEA. Um, and so really, that is my final lecture on dwarves for this podcast. Yay! Dwarves! 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 Wow. Well, I feel that all went very well. Swimmingly. Okay, favorite dwarf moment from the episodes. I really dig the Slayers. So the origin yeah. story of the king lost his dignity for not protecting his door. And I just love what they're about. The biggest losers. The biggest, the biggest loser. Losers. Well, certainly if they made that TV show, I'd watch that. <laughs> I really like the Slayers as well, but I kind of feel like it's the... One of the things that I've found while kind of looking at imagery for for the dwarves is that the slayers are, without doubt, from a kind of visual perspective, the most popular aspect of the dwarves because the art for dwarves is predominantly slayers. They seem because mm. they're just so physically striking, aren't they? But I, I really like the ancestor story, the mm-hmm. Valia and Grimnir and Grumny, Grum, yeah, yeah, Grumpy, Gr- Grumpy, Grumpy, yeah, yeah. Grumpy. Grumpy. Sad. Can't remember what his name is. Doc. Doc. <laughs> I will not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like their their story and and uh, the the fact that they just kind of disappear with the oh the third the chaos gate the third gate yeah the, the third fact. that was quite a revelation he kept that one quite quite yeah. effectively didn't he? are we going to learn a little bit more is there, is there more stories and tales to tell around this third gate because it's kind of a bit mysterious. Yeah, does it come into other races' stories? I feel I really can't say it this time. Oh, hold on to your butts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, shall we find out the conclusion to the, the great book of grudges competition? Nah, let's leave it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was only saying that because he knows he's lost. I know I've lost. I know I've lost. <laughs> Right, well, we've got another message from uh, Thorgrim, so uh, let me let me play it to you now. Ahoy, hi, you bunch of ugly bastards. Thorgrim here. What a touch base now that you've concluded your merry wee stroll through our histories and culture. i got to say, while you boys have been absolute dog shit, our stories have been immensely entertaining. And a solid reminder that dwarves are, in fact, the most amazing race in these lands. Now, there was a wee matter of the grudge challenge we set you. I had the lads down in the department of grudge track and keep a close ear on you boys and tally up your grudges as you went along. And before you say it, yes, the DOGT is a real thing. So, in third place, with a measly 27 grudges, is Darren. Uh, this is almost Darren. certainly due to the fact he could barely keep a hold of his fucking book. That's true. I mean, sweet dream there. We send the man a gift and that's how he treats it. However, we would like to give him a special mention for his pegging grudge. Gave us a proper giggle, that one. Although, personally, I feel it would have been better if it had been a blood relic, but that's just how we roll. Or a goat. Anyway, in second place, with his surprisingly low 30 grudges, is Ben. Given how much of a bitter wee shite he is, this is quite the shocker. We were convinced he'd smash the others, but apparently not. I even lost a bet with a wife on that one and have to cut two inches off my beard now so she can make earrings for her mates out of it. So thanks very much, Ben, you twat. <laughs> Which means, yeah, ben. drum roll, please. With an embarrassingly low 31 grudges, Christopher Crallon Allen is the grudgiest McGrudge face of the lot of you, and now officially oh. titled King Krabby Cunt. 
amazing. <laughs> well done, Kral. We're proud of you, son. Thanks, Thor. Kara as a Karak is eternally open to you, my boy. You'll always have a place among my people. Grimnir only knows you meet the height requirement already. Oh, now, to celebrate this choice bitch. event, I had the Department of Grudge Hacking, again, also a thing, hack into your website and add a laying down the lore wee book of grudges to your merchandise store. Now your listeners can also revel in the art of being a resentful shite. You're welcome. And that just leaves the honorary names. While we don't really feel like you've earned these, I'll be damned if I'm going to be upstaged by that thankwall and grimgore. So as is customary, I've sent you some names to choose from, and it only seems right that King Krabby Cunt should do the honours. That's it from me, laddos. Until next time, doodaloo. I love that dwarves have mobiles. I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> right? Calls, leave his voice memos like that. Well, I want to thank Jesus and my family for really supporting me through this. You know, I didn't think I was going to make it, but here we are. Number one grudger. For the Grudge podcast, Grudge I'm flattered. This is this is for all of us, guys. This is for everyone. <laughs> Who would have thought that someone with a vindictive personality would win? I know, right? <laughs> oh, they didn't call me Petty Crow for nothing. Petty Crow. <laughs> right, Petty Crow, give us some names. Yes, so Thorgrim has been good enough to give us some names to choose from. Uh, ben, let's start with you, my man. <clears throat> okay. Uh, dwarf name number one. Benrick Stonehair, immovable strand of the Quiff Mines. Nice. Okay. Can you? I, I need you to add some reverb to these uh, to these announcements as well. Make them sound more <laughs> epic. Number two. Sure. Crone Tank Iron Top, shame bearer of the sleeveless halls. Or number three. <laughs> like that. Like that. Number three. <clears throat> need a deep breath for this one. Cunningtong Benson. Dichotomous hippopotamus of the mystic troglodytic critics. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! That one, please. What, what was the what was the actual name? Uh, Cunning Tong Benson. <laughs> Love it. The, the dichotomous hippopotamus. <laughs> My rhymes are bottomless. To be the dichotomous hippopotamus of the mystic troglodytic critics rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, okay. Yeah. Love it. Cool. All right, all right. Um, Darren, you're up. Here we go. Number one, Throgdar Grudgebeard, wielder of the runes of sarcasm. <laughs> Number two, Grimrun Goldmouth, chief humorer of the jokeless anvil. Number three, <laughs> Darpeg Deepfist, unsatisfied slayer of the eye-rolling maiden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think... I think as magic items would go, I want the uh, the second one, but it's going to have to be the final one just for that. Um, <laughs> Dar peg deep fist. I don't want to use the word, well, because it mentions pegging, I don't want to use the word slam, uh, but it is a slam against Vicky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eye rolling nice. maiden. So you, you're Dar peg deep fist. Yep. Excellent. Okay. I'll, I, I'll let you guys pick my one. So here's my three. Number Cunt. one, cunt. Number two, <laughs> cunty. Number three, cunty. Cunty with cunt face. <laughs> no, I, I'm just going to go, my vote's for the simple first one, cunt. <laughs> you can be number three, but for short, we'll just call you cunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no, uh, number one, Crowdbrand Shoremind, confused recapper of the ancient episodes. Number two, <laughs> Throngkral Everclick, pen fondler of the Fidget Forge. Or number three, <laughs> Loose Leash Craggle, 
failed beast tamer of the Howling Hound, a.k.a. <laughs> my dog Meg. <laughs> oh, it's got to be the second one, man. What was it? Throngkral Everclick, pon- <laughs> pen fondler of the Fidget Forge. Yep, there we go. Number two. Yeah. Nice. Mm. Nice. Thanks, Thorgrim. Love it. Thanks for it. Awesome. Thorgrim. Amazing. Thanks. Thorgrim. All right, that's all we got time for. Tune in next time for Laying Down the Law. If you like everything we've spoken this episode, you can find everything in the show notes. Are you done? Right, I'm going to wrap up. Okay, cool. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes or on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in the podcast. Big thank you to all our Patreon supporters. We couldn't do this without you guys. You cover our costs and allow us to spend more time planning content and scripting those ridiculous adverts, not to mention the moral support that we so desperately need. If you're not part of this merry band, you've enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com forward slash laying down the lore and sign up today. This will give you access to our Patreon-exclusive bonus series, Chunks of Dar, a bi-monthly informal deep dive into the topics discussed in the main podcast, in which Kral and I essentially interrogate Dar. You'll also gain access to our Discord server, which is pretty much Warhammer Banner 24-7 with the three of us and our growing posse of lovely time wasters. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, ta-ta. Farewell, goodbye. See ya! See ya!